Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, as we gather together around the Word of God. Um, as you're turning, let me say a couple of things. One is that uh, uh, we give thanks to the Lord for the blessing that uh, He has been giving in this place. He's been adding to our numbers. The, uh, the elders have heard testimonies today by uh, way of joining commissions, and we've added uh, five new communing members. Uh, there is uh, one uh, patient covenant son of the church. We have a sixth uh, to add today. So if, if any ruling elders present immediately after the sermon can meet me in the office conference room, that would be a great help. Thank you. Uh, as you're turning, let me also say that I am under no illusions that, uh, that anyone is really here this evening because of the smell of barbecue that is filling the air. Um, know that rumor that you're here for barbecue is not true. I know that what has drawn you in this evening is the title of the sermon. Happy, happy, happy. You know, Duck Dynasty doesn't just sell in Louisiana. It also sells in Texas. Um, and I had one person ask me if I was going to appear in the pulpit this evening in a beard. Uh, as you can see, that did not happen. I, I do want to let you know that I have two black mugs in our collection at home right next to the kettle and the Keurig. And, and in the morning as I'm stumbling in the dark in need of a little encouragement, uh, uh, I have to, a choice to make between two black mugs. One says MIT.edu. That's my very uh, intellectual mood mug. And then the other one says happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Phil Robinson at the bottom. I can tell you something about the story of the Robertsons and the Duncans, you know, in, in the old country. Uh, um, there was a group of, uh, uh, of Robertsons, I understand, or was it Duncans, that got in trouble with the crown. And, and so they tried to hide by changing their name to the other group's uh, last name. And, and that didn't fool anyone. They were all caught and killed. Uh, but that means there's a great kinship, you see, between Duncans and Robertsons. So uh, we're happy to make that allusion. Uh, but this evening we come to gather around the Word of God, Psalm 67, uh, to the choir master with string in, stringed instruments, a psalm, a psalm. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your Word, true and sure, would be open, uh, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to us, that how we think and live and even how we feel would be changed after the image of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. We shall, bl God shall bless us. Let the, all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. Just seven verses long, 
including one repeated, repeated, repeated refrain. So there are really only six verses of text. Psalm 67 is one of the shortest in the Old Testament. There is no author listed, either in the text itself or in that little small section at the top, to the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. There is in the text no precise, definite historic event which gave rise to its composition in the providence of God under the hand of the Holy Spirit inspiring the human author. Many have taken verse 6 and and boldly gone where no man has gone before. Uh, The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. And they conclude, aha! Psalm 67 is about the harvest. It's, It's all about the bumper harvest that God has given. And it's true. In an agrarian society where you sow and and where you reap, a, a bumper crop is something to be an occasion on which rejoicing and adoration of God is to be given. But it's not clear that this is really such an occasion on which this psalm was composed. That's more of a cut and dried statement about a summary about the routine life in agrarian society than it is an ecstatic word of praise. If, if it's an ecstatic word of praise, then it's, well, if you know what I mean, sort of more of a Presbyterian ecstatic word of praise, a statement of fact more than anything to shout and jump a pew about. But to be obsessed with such questions, technical, would be to miss the whole focal point of this psalm. It's not long. It's it's like a single bullet that hits the target right in the heart. It's not about the farm. It's about the heart of the matter before the Lord our God. And our hearts need to hear, one and all, the message this psalm has to give, which is relevant to your life and your daily Christian living. Hear this, that in every season and circumstance... Sing praise to God for blessing, gospel blessing to come. The psalm is all about joy-filled praise. And it's about joy-filled praise for God. Verses 3 and 5 repeat it over and, and over again. They let us know of the importance of God as the object of our praise. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, when your mother says something once, you listen. When your mother says something twice, you hop to it. And the same thing is true about the Lord our God. Our Heavenly Father, when twice He calls us in this short psalm to make Him the object of our doxology and to praise His name, to sing glory to Him rather than to ourselves or or to some idol or another God, that should inform our thinking and enliven our feeling. We should learn as we sing and as we hear this psalm reverberate that He is the true object of our adoration, that He is the one about whom we should become ecstatic of heart and life. Praise be to God. Not just a trivial saying, 
Not just a little soundbite to manipulate us. Praise the Lord. No, it is a deep, heartfelt, true, ringing truth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, this psalm tells us why he is to be the object of our praise. There are many reasons. But here we see that he is the cause of our praise. Verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. From the very first stanza we're taught or we're reminded of the fact that the Lord God, who is the fount of all power and of all being and of all blessing, is the one who particularly is gracious to us in His blessing. Think of all the blessings in your life. Think of the the life that God has given you, that He has woven you together, that He has given you a, a basket full of gifts and abilities and talents, that He gives you the strength to rise each day, that He gives you a, a calling and a purpose, whether it be to study or, or to care in the home or, or to work in the marketplace. You have a special and unique set of gifts and circumstances that help make you unique. And for all of these, God, in all of them, He has blessed you and you owe Him praise. But above and beyond all of those regular and general things of life, is it not true that the salvific, that the redemptive, that the gracious blessings God gives stand out like towering mountains on the horizon of our lives? God doesn't just give you breath. He gives you a Savior. God doesn't just give you talents and a calling in life. He sends His Son to suffer and die for your sins that you might live forever in joyful glory to Him. Oh, God is the object of our praise, but He is the cause of it. And it's rooted in His gracious nature. It's rooted in who He is in and of Himself, and who He is also truly to us in Christ Jesus. He is our saving God and our gracious God, and that prompts praise in response. And the psalm goes on to tell us that that one aspect of His graciousness that manifests itself in covenant love, His covenant is the fount of praise in our hearts and lives. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. You know, when you live in Houston, Texas, or particularly in Katy, it's fairly easy at times to get lost. Uh, They tend to grow roads here from, from, I think, what were originally cow paths and and the boundary markers along different farms. And then there were these strange creations of man called interstates. And they have these uh, weave back and parallel roads. You know, you think you're on something that has four lanes, and you realize, oh, that's just half of it. And, and there are four over there. And, and then there are these frontage roads. And then, and then you go under the road to get back and, and get to the other side. It's, it's an amazing creation. And, and that mystery of life is how did anyone navigate 
Cinco Ranch before the rise of GPS? I, I don't know. We are finite creatures and our ways are mysterious things enough, but God is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. God, His way is something that is amazing and breathtaking to us. How is it that God would set His love upon a sinner like you or me? How is it that He would love me with His infinite knowledge, knowing me better than I know myself, knowing my sin and its darkness and and its dislocation of my life and of the lives of others around me? How is it that His way is to love me, to set His love upon me from all eternity and to love me in His Son and save me to the uttermost? This language in verse 2 about the way of God being known. That is to see the trace not of where the cows have wandered or where the fast cars go. It's to see the line and the channel of God's covenant love through our lives. That gives fount, does it not, to every blessing. It's like being in a, in a dry and and parched part of the desert. And and there you see it up on the horizon in front of you. A clump of trees, a a, a green hope bubbling up with water to refresh and, and save you. And so our God saves us by His way, by His sovereign way, setting His love upon the unlovable, upon you and upon me, that we might find life in Him. And so what comes in a response, just as in response to the the stream or, or to that watering hole is growth and life and hope, so too God's covenant and His covenant love is the fount of praise that flows, filling our life and flowing out to all others around us. Joy filled praise is given by us to God because of His covenant in Christ our Lord. And this joy-filled praise is for all. Now, God is the object, but it's for all of us. All of us should give praise back to God because of His great, gracious love and majesty. It's clear from even the very first moment of this psalm that such joy-filled praise is for the believer, that little verse zero, the small print, the little title of this psalm says, to the choir master with string instruments, a psalm, a song. Now on some other occasion we'll get into the technical language of a psalm versus a song and why you repeat that and, and why that notation would be there. But, but notice it's for the choir master on stringed instruments. You know, part of my life, I worked very hard at learning to play the guitar. Uh, There was a fellow across the street and two doors down, and and he was a very accomplished uh, guitarist. He could play in a classical fashion, and, and he struggled, I think, for several weeks one summer uh, at an inordinate rate of pay to try to teach me how to 
how to pluck the strings in just the way he could, uh, I learned about four chords. It was difficult enough for me to get one end of the guitar in the right formation, and the idea of moving my other fingers in a certain rhythm, well, that just was not physically possible. God was gracious and merciful as I grew older in sending other people to play stringed instruments. It's a corporate worship reference that's given here. God inspired this psalm through His prophet of old, and, and the text was given word uh, for word, them being, that uh, author being carried along by God the Holy Spirit, every word intended by the Almighty to be given to His church, to be read, to be, to be chanted, to be sung. And so the choir master received the inspired text and the choir master had it sung and, and sung even to music, to accompaniment, to instruments, that the people of God might learn not just with their minds but also with their hearts how important it is to praise our God with joy-filled praise. The believer, the believer's heart resonates with this psalm. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. These are words that, that hook in our hearts if we trust in the Lord. And, and they express for us what we can hardly express for ourselves. God gives us the words in which to sing His praise. But it's not just an individual in view. It's for all of Israel. If the opening title leaves us in any doubt, then the first verse takes all the doubts away. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. We together sing. Joy-filled praise is for all of Israel. Think of the people of God gathered in the tabernacle Think of the people of God gathered together in the different temple courts. Think of them hearing and singing along with this song that they would have learned from their childhood, that they would have learned how to lisp and then how to sing heartily from the depths of their life. Praise to the true and living God. But it's a psalm not just for the children of Israel. It's a psalm for Gentiles too. For all the peoples of all the nations that are commanded and hereby learn to praise the Lord, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. You know, it can be fun to look around our congregation and to see the different faces and and the different smiles. Uh, to see the variety of backgrounds in our congregation. It's reflective of our community of Houston, is it not? One of the most diverse cities, maybe the most diverse city, major city in America. And to think of how God has blessed the nations, about how He has carried His gospel to the ends of the earth, that He is gathering in the saints that every tongue and tribe and people and nation might gather and we enjoy a foretaste, an hors d'oeuvre of that great and glorious worship at the marriage feast of the Lamb to come, do we not? 
Uh, we haven't done it that I know of, but, but we could take a sample of how many languages in which we could praise the name of the Lord together. We got a little Latin in some families and, and a little Spanish in others. And, and we've got some folks that know French and, and we know some Mandarin. And there's a, a variety of languages in which we could praise the Lord. And that's the way God intended it from the very beginning. He gathered in His people as His light and as His word went forth. The children of Israel hereby were taught that they were not an end in themselves, but rather they were to welcome the nations and to take the gospel to them. Joy-filled praise is for all the earth. And that means it's not just for Old Testament Israel, it's also for the church. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, it says in verse 2. The church in its Old Testament manifestation and the church in its New, Fest, New Testament manifestation. Uh, the people of Israel as the, Israel as the cultivated olive tree. And then the branches grafted in to that root and trunk from all of the, the wild olive trees. Those shoots and branches grafted in and growing. All of these, each and every one of us, should be filled with joyful praise to God for the blessings of salvation that He gives. And here also the psalmist teaches us what is perhaps the most difficult lesson for all of us to take on board, but the, one of the most important, and that is that joy-filled praise is for all time. Uh, the time reference in the text is very clear. It's clearly a reference for the past. Joy-filled praise is for the past, we are told. And we see that in the opening introduction to the psalm. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm. A psalm. This is a text which God gave by inspiration. And then, in time, it was brought to the choir master. And then, in time, it was played and performed for and by the people of God over and over and over again down to this day. It was for the past. The original human author having the blessed position of first receiving these words and knowing the sweetness and knowing the fruit of joy that grew in his own life as he wrote the words down under inspiration, and as he delivered them to the choir master. And for the position in which we sing them today, we look back upon the saints of old, other believers before us in the, in the New Testament and in the churchly age, but also in the Old Testament as well. Saints there that sang these words and their hearts learned the importance of joy-filled praise in every season and tide of life. They're little ones learning to list these words and sing them from the lap. Young people, as they grow up, having been taught these words by their mothers as they helped with household chores, by their fathers as they went and tilled the ground, they learn to give joy-filled praise to God in every stage of life. 
and those that are older who show us how to live well and how to die well, God uses these words to bless and inform every stage of our Christian living. And the text here also tells us that we should be repeating these words with very present reality and importance in our own lives. The psalm begins, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. It's a plea for present blessing and an affirmation of sure expectation of it. But it's also a word for the future. We sing it and look forward to God's blessing to come. It's a word of joy-filled praise for the future time. In verse 4, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. We look out. Out upon those around us and to the skies and, and we feel and see them encircling all the planet. And we know that the mission of God where He sends His Son and where His Son sends His apostles and, and they establish by His decree a proper order, order in government through which the Word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit goes to every nation and to every people and every tongue and tribe. And it is still going forth today to countless teeming masses in major cities and, and into small villages and into the lonely forests which cover the earth. Oh God, in joy-filled praise, leads His people to look forward to His blessing to come upon the nations. And then there is that forward-looking reach The earth yields its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the earth fear Him. And so the psalmist lifts our hearts and teaches us to hope in Him with joy through thick and thin and in every circumstance of life. And so, my friends, Psalm 67 calls us to lift up our eyes and our hearts and our voices in praise to God, for each and every one of us to be filled with praise for Him that we can have a sure and firm confidence and also a bubbling and a welling up of joy that He alone can give as we see and as we watch and as even we are used as He rolls His blessings forward and covers all the earth. Let us pray.